0: While you do that, can I say hi to Martha and ask how you are doing?
1: I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I have a bit of a happy cold. new year. Mm-hmm. Happy new year.
2: Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and today is, uh, well, I, we're recording on January 6th, but it's really the first day of my dryuary, which is my yearly go sober in January because, wow, November and December were festive. Uh, with me, as always, is my co-host.
1: Uh, Martha Sullivan, and my pop culture resolution this year is to play more video games. Nice.
2: Uh, We are joined this week by uh, return guest Sarah Shaw.
0: Yay! Very excited to be here with you guys again
1: today. Welcome back! We're excited to have you.
2: Yeah, this is going to be a really good topic, I think. We're talking about hypocrisy, which has... Uh, no particular bearing in the real world um, right now. So, Not at all. yeah.
1: No, no practical <laughs> yep. application. Mm-mm. Yep. Gonna be just great. Just a fun thought experiment. <laughs> uh,
2: before we get into that, though, um, we're gonna share with you, our listener, what is on our mind. Um, just whatever piece of pop culture we want to be talking about. I realize I don't actually have an answer to this one, so I'm gonna go to Martha while I think about my own.
1: Sure. Well, I just said uh, that my one of my pop culture resolutions this year is to play more video games um, because there are a lot of really good games out. And I feel like this is an extension of a larger pop culture uh, resolution that I have, which is to be more mindful about the media that I consume and how I consume it. And video games are a part of that because frequently I will be on my couch just sort of mindlessly scrolling through Twitter or Instagram or doing something like for a good hour that I'm not really engaging with. And I don't care for that. I would rather spend that time actively engaging with something. Um, And I am bummed at how many of really good video games I've been missing out on. So in light of that, I paid $13 on the Xbox store for Dragon Age Inquisition, which I have been playing uh, basically all weekend. I got into an accidental fight a couple weeks ago on Facebook when I said that Dragon Age 2 was dumb and bad, which I stand by. Um, But Inquisition so far has been a lot of fun. It feels a lot more Mass Effect-y than either Dragon Age Origins or DA2, and so far I'm having a lot of fun. Nice.
2: Uh, I've been playing a lot of Zelda the last couple days. Um,
1: (gasps) Breath of the Wild? Breath
2: of the Wild, because it's so good.
1: It's the best,
2: <laughs> um, but also I haven't
1: I'm, finished it yet. It, but maybe someday I will. Is there an
2: end to this game? It's bigger than Skyrim, um, but I, well, I'm totally with you on the like scrolling. I mean, eventually,
1: mindlessly. you fight Ganondorf, I assume. Because it's, <laughs> right, it's a Zelda game, game.
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I'm I'm right with you with the like mindlessly scrolling through Twitter. Don't want to be doing that necessarily.
1: I would also like to stop having my. F- I would stop like to stop being on my phone while I watch stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Which I think is going to mean that I watch a lot more things on my phone. Which I think is fine. Hmm. Um, that might be yeah. an inferior um, viewing experience.
0: Maybe?
1: I don't know. I My phone is... The, the screen is good. Um, I, I don't know. And when I'm holding it... When I'm holding it right next to my face, I, I don't know, like perspective wise, I don't know how it stacks up. I watched Ides of March on my phone this morning, so oh. I couldn't. I had to pay attention, which I'm bad about. But we'll talk about that later. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, going to be a good episode. Um, Sarah, what is on your mind?
0: So, somehow, uh, despite having worked in state government for uh, over three years now and generally being interested in politics and policy, um, I had made it until this week without ever having watched an episode of The West Wing. What? Um, I know. I know. It fell into the category of things that people told me so much that I should watch that I developed an irrational, I don't need to watch that. Hmm. Um, and I then. Feel that. <laughs> <laughs> And then there, there was an evening this week where I was like, you know what? I I knew, I think it was important that I knew to expect escapism um, because to watch that right now with any other expectation in given the current reality, I think would have been uh, really hard and instead like went in kind of eyes wide open that what, whatever ideal was going to depict it, be depicted, was in fact an ideal and like was never the case under ever, any president ever. And with that understanding, took great pleasure out of that pilot episode. And now we'll either continue watching it immediately or we'll wait two more years and then watch <laughs> with great abandon.
2: Uh, how much did you enjoy the enormous boxy 90s suits on all the dudes?
1: So good. Him uh, yeah fair fair point everywhere <laughs> yes.
2: uh so good um yeah
1: it's pure fantasy but also delightful i think
2: yeah mm-hmm. there was an uptick in people myself included who watched at least the first season uh in like november and <sighs> december 2016 uh for that like raw escapism
0: Yep. I, it now it now makes sense. <laughs>
2: um, well, for me, I, I have a lot of things that are on my mind because I've been able to spend the last couple days sort of, like, relaxing and consuming a lot of different media. Um, but the one I want to talk about the most is um, Philip Pullman's The Book of Dust 1, La Belle <gasps> Sauvage, which I had not read yet. Um, I love uh, His Dark Materials trilogy, and... Uh, Pullman's writing in general. I started reading this on like Saturday, I think, and immediately came right back into his world, right back into like why I love his writing so much. Um, the fact that we don't all have demons is kind of uh, upsetting. So,
1: Physi- it physically pains me.
2: <laughs> the Golden
1: Compass. The Golden Compass books are like the one. Fictional story that I find physically distressing because it's not real.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, um, I love distressing. So much. Ooh. I, I
0: was going to make a dumb joke about physically distressing, as in like as if your daemon had been removed from you. <laughs> um, but yes. it may, maybe it's not a good taste. <laughs> I don't know.
1: The fact that I don't have one, I find insulting to life in general i thought La Belle sauvage was wonderful i was very concerned about it before i started reading it
2: yeah i i wanted to read it as soon as i heard of it and then just didn't right away kind of forgot about it um and then remembered got it as a christmas gift and uh jumped right in
1: yeah i have been so burned by beloved fantasy authors returning to worlds that I loved in a really not satisfying way.
2: How about that most recent Um, JK Rowling tweet about wizards before indoor plumbing?
1: We did a whole episode on how I find (laughs) JK Rowling problematic. (laughs) Um, But no, I thought, I thought that um, LaBelle Sauvage was not as complex of a story as the Golden Compass books, but I thought it was a wonderful adventure and it felt right. Like, the world felt right. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, there were... I mean, I there are parts of the Golden Compass books that I will just sort of randomly think about and then start crying about because that's how brutally, like, those books impacted me. Um, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. I That's one that I... I'm sort of evangelical about it. work with my teens. Like, I don't care if you read The Golden Compass, read this book.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I, um, The Amber Spyglass is the first book I have distinct (laughs) memories of, um, it not being out yet when I finished The Subtle Knife, and then having to, like, wait for it to be published. Um, and also the first book where it actually, like, emotionally impacted me in a very powerful way. So, (laughs) like, the, the, the hooks are in very deep for me for anything Pullman is doing, and, like, it's nice that this is living up to that.
0: I assume you both have at some point opined about the upcoming miniseries.
1: So excited! I was gonna say, I make pterodactyl noises every time I think about it. <laughs> um, my family and I have been fighting a little bit because they don't like uh, Lin-Manuel mm-hmm. Miranda for Lee Scoresby, and I think it's fine. <laughs> I'm not upset about it.
2: The guy who played him in the, uh, the 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 previous Golden Compass movie was perfectly cast, and then everything else about it was bad. Um, yes, and the guy who uh, Sam Elliott. There we go. Um, Sam Elliott <laughs> yeah, played him in that, and that was a great casting. So, um,
1: no, all the cast. Yeah, all the casting. In the first movie was perfect. the The casting in this movie, I'm not spending any energy getting mad about because I'm just so glad that they're making it.
2: Uh, the the girl playing Lyra, I'm super excited about. Oh, well, Uh, because she rules. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be great. (laughs) Cool. All right, well, we are going to be talking about hypocrisy for the rest of this episode. So uh, before we do that, since we're all just gushing about our love of this book and all the rest of these things on our mind, let's take a quick break, uh, and then we'll come back and do a 360 or a 180 and talk about hypocrisy. So... Recess. Uh, Now we're going to begin our discussion about hypocrisy. Um, We're going to be looking at sort of four broad ideas about hypocrisy. How does hypocrisy play out differently in the genres we looked at? We assigned a comedy, a I guess thriller, Um, and then an allegory. And so it's uh, hypocrisy is something that is able to span these many genres. Um, We're going to be asking what is hypocrisy telling us about the characters. And what does it tell us about ourselves in what we view as being hypocritical? Um, I think this is going to have a lot of really good uh, things, especially when we get into Ides of March. Um, three, does public intention matter? Uh, there's a quote we're going to be discussing around this and just looking at the idea of intentional hypocrisy versus accidental hypocrisy. Uh, and then finally what does it say that our homework covers religion and politics and that most of the other ideas we were kicking around as possible homeworks to assign were also about religion or politics? Um, So those are sort of the the four overarching questions we're going to be looking at. Um, Does anyone want to go first? I feel like there's no clear in uh, with any of these, so... All right, well, let's, if there's no... I
1: want to... Yeah. I want to start with Ides of March.
2: Okay. (laughs) I was thinking starting with either Saved or Ides of March. So Ides of March it is. Uh, Sarah, tell us about your homework.
0: All right. Um, Ides of March is a 2011 movie. It was written and directed by George Clooney, um, although he does not have sole credit for the screenplay. And it's adapted from a play, uh, a theater play, called Farragut North. It tells the story of a the Democratic primary campaign um, for the presidential nomination. And the field is down to two major players. First is governor of Pennsylvania, played by George Clooney. Second is a senator. And our main character is the George Clooney character's press secretary, played by Ryan Gosling. Uh, he is very talented, quite young, and very ambitious. And... I do not want this. It does take a number of twists and turns over the course of the movie, some of which we will probably talk about, but for the sake of maintaining some spoiler-free environment, um, the press secretary, Stephen, very much believes in the integrity of his candidate and in the democratic process. And over the course of the movie, in part due to meeting with the opposition's campaign manager, and in part due to getting involved with a young and very pretty intern, uh, the two respective parts played by Paul Giovanni and Evan Rachel Wood, um, leads to the governor eventually getting the democratic nomination, but at the price of uh, a number of people's souls and at least one person's life. And that is The Ides of March.
2: I had not seen this movie before. It was a stacked cast, which I was not expecting. Um, I knew Clooney and I knew Gosling, but, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Paul Giamatti, um, uh, Evan Rachel Wood. It is a, like, very stacked cast. And I did not realize Clooney directed until the very end when it says directed by George Clooney. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was very... It felt strangely out of time um, in the, in terms of what they were like discussing on a political level, it felt both like 2008, which makes sense. Cause that's when the play was, but also very relevant to today. Um, and I think it was a really great choice for hypocrisy. Um, yeah, Martha, I, I know you got it, a lot I of opinions it was... on it, so.
1: <laughs> All right. I thought it was an incredibly well-made movie that I hated watching. Oh, um, I. I well and okay so here is what I did not like. I didn't like that the whole thing turns on a sex scandal. I thought that that was lazy. And obvious, I guess, like of all the things in the world you're going to have him pull a Bill Clinton and that's going to be <laughs> that's going to be our our dramatic plot twist. I don't know, that part really bothered me. Um I have thoughts about that that I'm putting a pin in. Okay. Yeah, same. Um, I also I honestly can't decide if I feel like Evan Rachel's Wood Evan Rachel Woods character
2: <sighs> is a character. I
1: can't decide. Well, I can't decide if she was purely a plot device or not. Because that also bothers me. Um, the utilization of the abortion and her suicide for the furthering of this drama between two men um, tastes a lot like fridging to me and we don't really get to learn a lot about Evan Rachel Wood except that she likes to have sex with attractive political people which I'm not shaming her for like get it girl Um, but also maybe don't sleep with married men Um, and your boss yeah that too um i I could have done with a different scandal, I think um, but yeah, I thought everybody in it was really good. I thought it was compelling to watch, and at a certain point, I was just like, I hate everything that's happening. <laughs> I mean that
0: part I t- totally agree with because I saw this movie when it came out in theaters. Uh, when at the time Pete and I were roommates and I was living in Milwaukee and I was teaching and I was fairly far away from politics with the exception of marching on Madison to protest Act 10. Um, And what I remember of watching it in theaters was like curling up at the end of the movie and saying, the world is terrible, politicians are terrible, this governor, you know, this presidential candidate uh, as portrayed by george clooney is terrible and should not be running anything um and somehow like completely forgot in the intervening years what a terrible person stephen the press secretary turned out to be in the decisions that he makes
2: Mm -hmm. Um, yes
0: and uh, the lens of hypocrisy just puts such a fine point on that watching it this way this time through where i still (laughs) walked out of it saying this is terrible. Politics is terrible. Like, what? How is it even possible to have anyone with integrity operating in this space? Um, but my disillusionment and fury was far more directed at, at Steven as a character than at anyone else.
2: So, like, the, the fact that it does all hinge on a sex scandal and it, it's a it it becomes a much more audacious one, but at the beginning it's a fairly benign sex scandal, all things considered. It it feels very timely for now, while also feeling very, like, I don't want to say quaint, but, like, you know, with, with Trump and everything, it's like, oh, this is, like, a nothing scandal compared to what's happening literally every day. Um, but it's also very timely in the sense that, like, it is a... You know, with the Me Too movement and everything else like that, it's, it, it's sort of hitting that in a very interesting way, especially because it does end up getting swept under the rug.
0: I, I think it's a deliberate evocation of, of Clinton, oh, to your yeah. point, yeah. Martha, yeah. like that y- they're being lazy in the way that like the media and the GOP were lazy for years in that that was the only thing that mattered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you could get them out of sex scandal, that was it. And the rest we could explain away.
1: I guess I, you know what, and I think it wouldn't have bothered me as much if Evan Rachel Wood had had more to do other than yeah. look hot and seduce uh, Ryan Gosling.
2: Or, and, and I have to say, like her her killing herself is felt like it came out of nowhere um, as a way to well, further the we story.
1: She... Yeah.
2: Were, were you going to ask? Do we think it was intentional?
1: Yeah, I feel like the the movie is pretty deliberately vague about that, because she the last voicemail she leaves to him is "I'm not going away."
2: Hmm. Right.
1: Which made me wonder if she just got upset and had too many drinks while also being on the painkillers. Right. You, but, but I, am I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure it matters to the movie if it
2: was a deliberate suicide or not. Right. Because again, it's all it's doing is furthering the story. Like it's 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 the plot point. It's nothing about her as a person.
0: Yeah. yeah. I hadn't I hadn't thought about it, but I think you're right, Martha, that she does act far more as a plot device than as a as a character. And it certainly is not a fully fleshed out character. I mean, the the speech that her dad gives at the funeral um is far more attuned to what will make the viewer uncomfortable because he's talking about, she was, you know, she brought joy to all those that she touched and we all cringe than it is about yes. talking about what kind of person this had been.
2: Yeah. So, so there is a ton of hypocrisy going on in this movie. Um, sort of going at our discussion question number 2 of what it tells us about ourselves uh, what do we think is the worst hypocrisy like who which is the one that you think is the the one that sticks in your craw the most
1: oh it's george clooney's monologue at the end when he's talking about how integrity is the only thing that matters and it's like dude <laughs> i just watched an entire movie about how you're a liar mm-hmm. <laughs> which i which i maybe think is why go for it martha which is oh i was just gonna say i mean i'm i'm sure that that was intentional like that was the note that they wanted to leave us with yeah that he can make these big grandstanding speeches about how you know we're all gonna move forward into the future under this banner of integrity and you know, after we get the clandestine, like we get that after we get the clandestine meeting between him and Ryan Gosling, where Ryan blackmails him into firing Philip Seymour Hoffman, who may actually have been the only decent character in that movie.
2: Paul Giamatti was all right. Was he? He Except was. for he the
1: wasn't... part where he ruined Ryan Gosling. <laughs> was he,
0: Although he, he was Machiavellian. Critical. Yeah. He was Yeah. He wasn't. Paul Giamatti's character was not hypocritical. And that was, an, that was another reason why this lens was interesting for me, because I kept being like, you must be a hypocrite. You're terrible. And then thinking, wait a second, he's just being terrible. Yeah, <laughs> he's not he's, necessarily also being a hypocrite.
2: He's very forthright about what he's doing and why it's not good. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, well, cool. Should we go on to a second homework then and start tying the threads together?
1: Can I would first like to... Talk about Marissa Tomei a little bit. Sure. Um, because I thought her her function was really interesting in the movie to me, and I'm still trying to decide if she what side of the lens she falls on because she's a journalist. Mm-hmm. So everything she does is in service to getting a story, but also I feel like all of the other characters. Are very aware that that's. I mean, she has a couple scenes with Stephen where it's like, Steven, are you kidding right now with yeah. what you? And like, he, like he's she, young, but she's he's very upfront. Yeah, if he's, if he's the press secretary and he is coming from a media background, it seemed a little odd to me that he would be surprised when she. Tried to work him the way that she did. Mm-hmm.
0: I think it says more about his own hubris that a yeah. theme a theme throughout the movie is his downfall is continually believing that he's special and that that means he is exceptional and that exceptions are made for, for him. Um, the i the, the the speech that you pulled out, Martha, as being kind of the one that's stuck in your craw the most um, is definitely has a big impact. And I think maybe hearing you say that made me realize, oh, maybe that's why like George Clooney was the character that I thought of as, that I remembered as the most heinous and then came back and was like, wait a second. Um, and the the theme that really stuck with me this time around was the, um there are three instances where someone claims it was just one mistake and the other person says, that's all you get. Mm-hmm. So we have Molly saying that to Stephen about, you know, it was one mistake of having slept with the governor and he is completely unforgiving. I mean, tries to make it better, but also for very self serving reasons. And then you have Stephen making the same plea to his campaign manager and being thrown out because loyalty is loyalty is loyalty. And then Stephen makes the same comment essentially not with the exact same words but essentially to the governor um that like you are now going to pay because you made this one mistake you can do all these other things but that's the one thing you cannot do um and so it was his like inability to accept his own mistake while making everyone else pay for theirs um that ooh, really got
1: me this time around hmm well, and you you laying it out like that was very clarifying for me because I was kind of having trouble because I think I've only seen the movie the one time I've ha- I had trouble seeing past um, George Clooney's hypo- hi- like hypo- hypocrisy in the end, but I I think the the overarching like the bigger narrative really is showing Stevens arc from being an idealist and really believing in this guy to not only being completely disillusioned with him um but also like if if the govern it's it's almost like if the governor has no integrity then Stevens integrity doesn't matter either
0: mhm uh, or
1: even that it it just
0: doesn't matter to Stephen because he is he's ready to sell the governor not when he first finds out about the scandal with molly like his focus there is just to get molly out of the way so that she doesn't harm anything he is still full like team he might be somewhat disillusioned but he's still on the team and the moment at which he shifts and he starts working to undermine the governor is when he's in that meeting with he's just been fired and he says you can't like it's not your opinion that matters the governor's or what you know it's morris's whatever he says and yeah philip seymour hoffman tells him no the governor agrees with me and that's the moment where he goes off because he still wants to be the exceptional one he still believes that he's special he's on the team and it's when the governor turns against him personally that he loses all faith
2: so a, a question since this is a political thriller and there is a fair amount of like political stump speeching happening so we get a vague sense of of morris's like platform other than like generic democrat what like what is your thoughts on Clooney or uh um gosling like still working for him because as you said sarah it's a a movie about like his disillusionment and like cynicism with the the political process in a way um but it's like he could it's the tension of, like, supporting the governor as a candidate for president because he supports his policy, uh, you know, positions and, and all the rest of it and what he stands for versus um, not being able to do that because he knows that the, like, the sordid underbelly, um, which I think is something that happens a lot in politics, the idea of, like, I support this person's ideas But then you find out something about them personally, and it's like, well, that sort of, like, colors the whole, uh, like, everything, including the ideas. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the problem is that the kind of person someone is is going to color everything they do. Like, Morris can talk as high-handed a game as he wants... But if he's if he's going to behave this callously and thoughtlessly with somebody that he's in a position of power over, mm-hmm. like why would I not then assume that that's going to leak into his making? Like a, a campaign is just words. <laughs> Judge by actions instead. I, I mean, I, th- I think you have to. I, I'm trying to think of how of how this is different than like all of the. It's a little bit like separating the art from the artist.
2: Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. It either like you you have to make a decision is either going to matter to you or it doesn't. But the art is ultimately a product of the artist, and if the artist is a bad person, then...
2: Like, I guess the flip side for this would be, like, hypocrisy for good. Like, if this... If, if Morris were a good president, you know, does that... not that it validates, but does it change the tenor of the hypocrisy? And I think you're right that it's, it's very much like separating the art from the artist or choosing not to um which we had a whole discussion about a couple episodes ago um
1: well, and i actually i was just talking about this with a coworker um specifically in reference to the bill clinton monica lewinsky scandal mm-hmm. like there's a world in which bill clinton took responsibility for what he did like actually okay no scratch that that's absurd um <laughs> but there's a world in which if bill clinton was a normal human being and he was unfaithful to his wife that the two of them as normal people could have decided that they were going to like go through counseling and sit down and work through this. That You don't, you don't get to do that when you're the most powerful man in the United States. Right. Like right. George Clooney's character could have made the choice to like tell his wife what had happened, take responsibility for what he did, like take care of Molly not quote unquote, take care of her, but like deal with the problem. But he didn't. <laughs> right, because
2: power and politics sort of warps everything.
1: And I think that it's totally fair to judge what somebody does with that power as kind of a forecasting for how they're going to react to being the most powerful man in the United States. Mm. Is he going to be a good president? I have no idea. For the purposes of this movie, I it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I I think that we're we're meant to to leave this movie at the end not being on his side or on Ryan Gosling's side. Right.
2: I I think Sarah what you had said earlier about your gut reaction upon leaving this movie is the right one, which is like everything is terrible.
0: Yeah, but I so that's really helpful for me, Martha, hearing you reason that out with particular regard to what you do with power. Because one thing I was grappling with, given one of the messages of saved, and we could Segway maybe start in transitioning there. over there. But yeah. Like, yeah, but like one of the, the main messages that's delivered by our protagonist at the end of that is like, no one fits in 100% of the time. No one... Um, can follow all the rules and be perfect. And if you do believe in things, that means you're essentially destined to be a hypocrite at some point. Because otherwise, either you stand for nothing and therefore it's impossible to be a hypocrite, or you stand for something and you will mess up along the way. And you know, in Saved, it's about being able to accept that and forgive that and be inclusive. And that seems to be kind of a central tension when we start talking about politics because we expect our politicians to be perfect, and that's impossible. Mm-hmm. I mean, for them as human beings, much less as political figures. Um, and so there's this, just this terrible built-in hypocrisy. We ask for ideal candidates. We're disillusioned when they're not ideal, and yet they were always not going to be ideal. Um, but I think what you, what you point out, Martha, there being increased responsibility when it comes to increased power, insert Spider-Man, um, <laughs> helps me kind of dis- distinguish like why, why is it still relevant um, to, to ask ourselves how their words and their actions line up? Because there is increased expectation when you have that increased responsibility.
2: hmm well, that does seem like a great segue transition to Saved. So, uh, Martha, why don't you take it away on that? And we can start bringing comedy into this as well. And religion. Sure. Why not? Like...
1: <laughs> so the two things you're not supposed to talk about at dinner parties. Exactly. Um, so Saved is a 2004 uh, comedy. Jenna Malone is a high schooler at a very conservative Christian high school uh, who finds out that her boyfriend is actually uh, secretly gay. Uh, And she decides that God has told her uh, that in order to save her boyfriend from the pits of damnation, she has to have sex with him. So she does. And then she gets pregnant. Uh, And the movie is about the crisis of faith that she goes through, um, because if she was doing what God told her to, why would he punish her this way? Uh, And in the course of the movie, she gets to be friends with uh, Eva Amory, who plays a Jewish girl, um, and uh, Macaulay Culkin, who plays um, Mandy Moore's uh, disabled brother. Um, And they both kind of band together to protect her um, and help her through her pregnancy, which she's going through all by herself. Uh, Her mother is a single mother who's having an affair with, uh, the pastor of the high school. Um, so everyone is just very caught up in these incredibly restrictive Christian, uh, values that they are trying to live under and failing because they are human people. And, uh, sometimes the edicts of Christianity can be a little bit much for regular humans.
0: We'll say the edicts of a of a Christianity interpreted in a certain manner
2: yes uh, yes <laughs> uh th- there's a lot of hypocrisy going on around here, but the thing that I thought was th- that like struck me the most was um all the like simple banal platitudes that especially at the beginning like all the characters are kind of just saying all the time um and and it's that false humility thing of like oh thank you for this gift but we should also take a moment to remember those without anything uh and if that were like an actually deeply held belief it would be fine i guess like yeah that's a good belief to have um but it always comes across as a whiff of uh like like false humility self-aggrandizing um the classic better to pray in private than to pray in public um distinction and this definitely hits more of the latter
1: yeah the reason that i that i thought of this movie almost immediately uh when i heard that you wanted to talk about hypocrisy sarah is the scene where after uh mandy mandy moore's character has decided that something weird is going on with jenna maloney they pack her into a van and start to perform oh my gosh, an yes. exorcism
2: <laughs> yeah
1: the ending of which has Mandy Moore throwing a Bible at Jenna Maloney and saying, I am filled with Christ's love. And the juxtaposition of that act of violence with that fairly like standard Christian idea was just very striking to me. Yeah. Um, and I think very characteristic of the movie because you have... People who are claiming to be embodying Christian values who you see over and over again, denigrating people who are different from them, packing their teenagers off to like rehabilitation centers, um showing incredible intolerance for people who exist outside of this box uh that their religion has built for them- mm-hmm. um. I also was thinking a lot about the final scene when uh, Jenna Maloney goes into... or No, right before she goes into labor when they're at prom and all of the boys show up from the the rehabilitation group and her boyfriend says... Or her ex-boyfriend, I guess, um, says that he knows in his heart that Jesus still loves him Mm -hmm. even though he's gay and according to um the pastor and their religion like super not allowed like that that moment also was like this is what it should be about right and it's just not (sighs) had you both seen this movie before
2: i saw it years ago i want to say in college um i like it i think it's funny and fine, but I, like, everyone else I've talked to about it so far has been like, oh, I love Saved. And I, I never got to that level of <laughs> of it, um, both the first time around and this time around. Um, But I, I had seen it back in college.
0: I had not seen it um, and enjoyed it very much. I think to our first discussion question, like, it was, this is definitely a case where hypocrisy is played for laughs as, like, that disconnect becomes more and more evident between you know the values we espouse and then the values we live out, as opposed to in the Ides of March where it's like hypocrisy causes heartbreak and betrayal. Um, so kind of living out those different genre conventions. Um, I I had I watched this movie and then had a vigorous debate with my viewing partner. Um, so I want to pose the question to both of you. So our, our like protagonists are Mary, who is now pregnant, Cassandra, the Jew at the Christian school, and um, Roland, who is in a wheelchair. Um, do we think that that trio acts with hypocrisy at any point in the film, or it could be con- considered hip- hypocritical?
1: Uh, yes. Um, Ooh. When they when they put up the the photo of Mandy Moore's character from, like, as her junior high self. Okay. So we, we have seen Mandy Moore be incredibly unkind to people throughout the movie for shallow reasons, and we find out that she used to have really bad acne and had, like, orthopedic... Or not orthopedic, orthodontic headgear and used to be overweight. And... Roland and Cassandra use that as a punishment tool and like spread this really humiliating picture all over the school. And it was one of those moments where it was like, I'm not saying that Hillary Faye doesn't deserve some kind of comeuppance, but using somebody's like embarrassing physical past as a punishment tool when like, Roland gets bullied for being his wheelchair and Cassandra gets bullied for being Jewish and being kind of a goth and all of this stuff like that. That seemed,
2: I don't know if that's hypocritical though. Cause they, um, those two Roland and Cassandra never espoused any of the, like the, the platitudes, um, that would make it like, I, I, I take your point that it's, it's hypocritical in the sense of like, if you're bullied it's somewhat wrong, like, you know, is it right to bully back? But I don't think that's hypocrisy per se.
1: Well, but they've also taken a pretty firm stance as being like above the other people at their high school. And this was a very sinking to their level kind of moment.
0: That's like exactly (laughs) the debate that that I got into of of like, does it matter whether or not they're espousing ideals, like moral ideals versus their own personal conceptions of we are better than them. Because I think what makes their, I think they are hypocritical in the sense that like they think that they're better and then they do exactly the same thing. Um, But somehow it doesn't sting as much. I think, I I think for two reasons, number one, because they aren't like invoking God as they do it, Mm -hmm. they're not saying, they're not taking the moral high ground. Um, number two, because as a, like, I do identify as Christian, but I'm a fairly liberal Christian and a lot of the evangelical world that this movie takes place in is not what I would prefer to have associated with Christianity. Um, and so I'm far more likely to identify with our protagonists and it made me to one of our discussion points like, it made me wonder how I would view this movie differently were I coming from a different background where I might not have been so inclined to sympathize with our outcasts.
1: So as somebody who could probably best be described as a lapsed Christian, um, I I actually think the movie comes down pretty hard in favor of, like, Christian ideals.
2: Yes, but a very liberal... christian ideal oh yeah yeah
1: oh yeah definitely filtered through it's like it's like the people who want to remind us all that jesus christ was a refugee Mm-hmm. yeah which i'm not mocking i just i think that the point of view of the movie is that there are some good ideas in christianity and they get lost sometimes when they are filtered through this sort of hardcore conservative standpoint
0: great if anything it's a it's about it's against extremism mm-hmm. more or not even extremism but like in the intolerance Intolerant, of yeah. um mm-hmm. of taking something literally and believe, I mean I'll go back to um Mary's speech at the end that like no one fits in 100% of the time um regardless yeah. of whatever it is that you're trying to hold up
2: yeah that that speech is definitely like the thesis statement of the movie um and and is espousing a definitely, like, liberal, inclusive kind of Christianity. No particularly good segue here <laughs> other than, uh, intolerance? Um...
1: I was gonna say, the better segue was probably from Ides of March to Animal Farm, but... Right. This is where we find ourselves. Right. <laughs> so,
2: uh, we're skewing back to politics, away from comedy, and going with uh, George Orwell's classic Animal Farm. Um... You all read Animal Farm in middle school or high school? You know the premise. Uh, It's the Soviet uh, Communist Revolution um, in farm animals. Uh, Snowball is Trotsky. Napoleon is Stalin. Uh, Boxer is very, very sad. Um, Half the notes I wrote as I was reading this was just Boxer sad face. Um...
1: (laughs) i think we should all follow this book up with a viewing of the death of stalin which was one of the funniest movies that i watched last year
2: i haven't seen it yet but it's on my short list peter yeah no i i know i've I've...
1: (laughs) it may have been it may have been literally made for you
2: (laughs) great well then i'm definitely gonna bump it up on my short list um speaking specifically about hypocrisy though um and i'll let you guys obviously talk about you know, whatever you want to talk about as well. One thing that struck with me was, um, Snowball and hypocrisy, because Orwell definitely, I think, is is writing Snowball as a sympathetic and positive character who we're supposed to agree with. Um, he's the brains of the operation, but he's doing things to actually improve the lives of animals. But, as a pig, he is also getting the perks of being a pig. Um, you know, more food, etc. Um...
1: Well, except that they don't start the more food stuff until after Snowball's gone. Yeah, they do.
2: Um, it's not as the much milk. or as aggressive, but there's a few things where it's like... Yeah, there's the milk, there's a few other bits where it's like extra apples. Um, and so he he is benefiting from this while also, you know, urging equality and all the rest. Um, whether he's the one actively, like... It, it's unknown whether he's the one... Just like making these ideas uh, that like pigs need more food because they're doing brain work um or whether he's just passively benefiting from it, it's still sort of there um but uh talk about that, and also what you thought of the book in general. I assume you've both read this before
1: I yes. don't think that I had you Whoa. went to school at Oak i mean how was that possible? Obvi- <laughs> Obviously, I am familiar with Animal Farm because I live in the world. Mm -hmm. I also think that I watched an animated adaptation of it like a long time ago. That does exist. But I think this was my first time actually reading the book. I haven't read before. so that's fine. I was reading it in a really weird space because I was like, someone dies. Who dies? (laughs) And like I was kind of hardcore skimming because i was like what one of these animals dies and it's like a big thing and then i got to boxer and it was really really sad yeah um it's a it's a i did not realize there was so much gaslighting in this book oh with, <laughs> with all the changing
2: of the the rules
1: and the like reimagining of the battle
2: mm-hmm and, yeah
1: that was almost more breathtaking to me than the the hypocrisy of the pigs was like oh you're just you're just rewriting reality right now
2: it felt very resonant to today in ways that were not comfortable yes
1: with. well and speaking of 1984 I mean... yeah 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 this book captured me far
0: more effectively in 2019 than it did in 2005 or whatever it was when we read it in high school.
2: Yeah. Um, so obviously there's, there is a lot of hypocrisy going around. Um, some of it at the very end I think is interesting, which is the hypocrisy of the humans. Uh, who are doing their own rewriting of history. Um, and just very much accepting the state of things because capitalism.
1: Walk me through that a little bit, Pete.
2: Um, So the very end, you have the pigs and the humans together. Um, Right. And the the humans have a toast where they make a big show about how glad they are that the animals are running the farm. um, Ah, yes. How they will be friends forever now, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, And doing their own, yeah, rewriting of history, saying, oh, it was only a few malcontents who didn't like you at first, but now we're all friends together. Um, And then five, like, one page later, they're fighting each other over both of them cheating at cards. (laughs) So,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, to the...
0: Maybe that defines hypocrisy for us, is that you say you believe in something and actually what's happening is that you are following your self interest. And if that happens to align with what you said, all's well and good. And if it doesn't, it doesn't matter because you're just going to do what you want to do. And unless there is something in your way to stop you, that's what happens.
2: So that that's an interesting thing you brought up. It, it segues very nicely to our discussion question about does intention matter? Um, and I I wanted to discuss this based on a quote from a Neil Stevenson book, um, Diamond Age, where um, to summarize the quote, a, a hypocrite is someone who espouses high moral values or views as part of a planned campaign of deception, never holding those beliefs sincerely and routinely violating them in privacy. That's one idea of hypocrisy. But the other idea of hypocrisy is sincerely holding those beliefs that one espouses, but Uh, The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak and so therefore violating them not as a dastardly plan to pull the wool over the eyes um, but simply because humans are fallible. Um,
0: Can we add a third one in there? Yeah. Which is like someone who does not realize that their actions are not aligning with their Hmm. espoused values which I think it's someone who does not consider himself or herself to be a hypocrite but and even someone who does someone who knows that that person isn't aware might not call them a hypocrite but i that is how we often use it is without knowledge of whether they knew or did not know but if there's someone like if i know someone who is a huge environmental justice advocate and yet oh we like when we're walking down the street will throw their wrappers into the street instead of into the trash can and is just totally unaware of it like i will consider that person a hypocrite regardless of whether or not they realize that they are doing that
2: oh interesting
1: well i think that the point at which they would revert to hypocrisy is if you said hey you're littering cuz then they have then then they 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 they've knowledge I think in ta- Yes, I I am circling around the fact that I think intent absolutely matters because the the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There's an opportunity to change your behavior.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if you continue to engage in the problematic behavior, even after the awareness is there, then that's the point that it becomes hypocritical. Because you. I, I feel like there has to be the point at which you realize what you're doing is hip like if if someone doesn't realize they're being hypocritical it's pointed out to them and they they have a chance then to go oh i will change my behavior now and then if they don't despite now presumably understanding like having the knowledge to make that assessment that's the point at which hypocrisy enters the equation
2: i think i agree with that take 100 percent
1: I agree with it 50% in a
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, in the sense that I think I think it's all hypocrisy. I think from a moral standpoint what is problematic is when it is
1: self-aware hypocrisy.
0: Well, that, but like, I don't I'm, know
1: if you can, I don't know if you can be hypocritical if you don't know that what you're doing is in conflict. Then I need another word
0: that describes The simple state of someone whose actions and words do not align, regardless of their awareness.
1: Well, but I don't, I don't, I don't know that there is one because I think the circumstances matter. (laughs) Fair enough.
0: Um, Because, yeah,
1: well, so on the surface, so without context, without context, you could call it hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. After the teachable moment, what do you call it? I mean, that's like
0: if I were to follow the the use of terms that I've unilaterally decided I'm using here. Yeah, don't <laughs> like, be hypocritical would...
2: yourself, right now. So.
0: <laughs> oh no! Now I'm gonna stop and think. No, I'm not. I'm just gonna keep talking and see what happens. Um, I you think we antagonize
1: would... our guest, Peter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think. So prior to the teachable moment, I would say the state of your actions and your words not aligning is a state of hypocrisy, but it is not a state that has a moral judgment attached to it yet. And when the teachable moment occurs, if you then continue to do it, you are actively choosing to be a hypocrite. And that is where one might pass moral judgment. And if you have changed, you are no longer a hypocrite in a you you have never been a hypocrite from a moral standpoint, and you are no longer a hypocrite from an objective, descriptive standpoint.
1: So it's the difference between being a hypocrite and engaging in hypocritical behavior.
2: Mm. Pulling back a little out of this uh, tailspin, <laughs> um, it, 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 it seems like we all agree that um, it, it it does. It, it's not the limiting factor of. Um, like public versus private it's it's like none of us would say that to be a hypocrite one must be knowingly and intentionally deceiving others um espising how high moral views in public and then violating them in private um we we are much more broad in our definition
0: inclusive Mm. we're inclusive there we go great uh cool um, but I would say that, that that description of the intentional deceit is, like, the worst kind of hypocrite. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Um,
2: what? How about, what does it say that, like, all of our homework, uh, both assignments and things we were spitballing, assigning, uh, were about religion and politics? Like, why is this the, why, why are the two things you're not supposed to talk about in polite company, the ones that are best for hypocrisy?
1: Because they are the things in our in our culture that espouse the highest ideals, and so rarely actually meet them, mm-hmm. but have the steepest penalties for other people for failing to meet them. It's like this. It's this vicious circle of my expectations for you are different and also harder than my expectations for myself. Mm-hmm. Completely,
2: and completely. And I would say that they're also the two main things that give people like direction or meaning like the ideology either of the religion or the politics so when those are betrayed it hurts even harder
1: and it's more evident yeah. it's clear to call out mm-hmm. yeah but yeah it, yeah they're also like the two biggest controlling factors in our lives like whether or not we choose to engage in religion like it impacts our culture it impacts our it impacts our politics um the, it's like the two things in life that we can't get mm-hmm. that you cannot choose to not engage with in some way
0: mm-hmm.
1: very influential institutions yes. yes and very circularly influential Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: as in like self like influencing each other yes yeah cool
1: i kind of want to circle back real quick um to well actually pete you can tell me if we should leave this in or if you feel like we've already covered it um but to what do we do we feel like we've covered what the hypocritical actions of the characters are saying about those characters Or what it says about, or, like, what, how it informs us, like, what we find to be hypocritical. Did we cover those things? We kind of did the latter. We
2: didn't really do the former. Um, Animal Farm is so, like, on-the-nose allegory that it's like, yes, this is, this is what this is. This is what that is. Uh, But the other two we could definitely go into if you want to.
0: I'm curious what you've been thinking about with that first part, Martha.
1: Okay. Um yeah I just want to I am thinking specifically about how our perceptions of George Clooney's character changes when we find out what he did mm-hmm. because we see him mostly being the person that he says he is. Like we get that cute little moment in the car with his wife mm-hmm. where they're very cute together, and we see like he doesn't want to let. He doesn't want to sell a cabinet position to is Thompson a senator? Yeah he doesn't yeah. want to buy he doesn't want to buy the senator's votes uh, or the Senator's delegates with by bribing him with a cabinet position. Like we see him being a pretty morally upstanding guy until we find out that he banged an intern, got her pregnant, and then like the whole rest of the movie. Um, which is kind of an intense turnaround. I feel like usually when a movie is going to have you flip that hard on a character, you get a little bit more foreshadowing than that, but then it ends up coloring everything that he does. I'm also a little bit interested in this question in the context of the teenagers that we see in saved who I think you can still argue are very much a product of the environment that they're being brought up in. Like at the end of the day, Manny Moore's character is 17. So like she has clearly been raised in this very conservative household. Um, and the, the hypocritical stuff that she, um, engages with is kind of in line with what one would be raised with. And it, it, I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but it's interesting to me to line up the actions of George Clooney, who has this very deliberate, like he's a politician, so everything that he does and says is very deliberate um, versus somebody who may be engaging in hypocritical behavior without even thinking about it, um, just because that is what she has been raised with. Was there anything in there? That was a lot of words.
0: <laughs> I'm, it, it's got me thinking. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. It, it,
2: it feels very much like like what we were talking about earlier, where Clooney is the um, espousing moral views in pri- in public and then betraying them in private, um, like that as Sarah sort of called, like the highest echelon of hypocrite. Whereas the teenagers are more of like the lower, you know, not as still hypocritical but not as um like morally repugnant because it's a lot of like they think they're doing the right thing even though we on the outside can clearly see the hypocrisy
1: well and i also don't want to let them entirely off the hook because
2: i mean the exorcism is crazy but like
1: well and the like the the biblical messages that they're talking about. I mean, I've read the Bible. There's a lot in there about loving your neighbor and forgiveness and all of that. So like, the words are there. They're just yeah being engaged with in a really backwards way. So I also I don't wanna I don't wanna give Hillary Hillary Fay the pass of like oh well she just doesn't realize it. But it does seem to be to be a little it, it seems to me to be categorically different from this man in a lot of power um, like this man abused his power in a really awful way yeah it makes
0: me wonder whether like how much we value critical thought becomes a factor here where one of the defining characteristics of Mandy Moore's posse is that they, are, they don't question anything that they've been taught, um, which doesn't mean that you can't question it and decide, yes, this is what I believe and then hold on to it. Um, but there's, there's no questioning. It is a right. straightforward acceptance of, right. and that leads them to actions that then do not stand up to inquiry, um, as opposed to, I think your description of Governor Morris is spot on, Martha, and that here's a very deliberate man. Um, for good and for bad. Like, I do believe that he, that those private moments that we see of him making decisions to try to keep his campaign um, positive and not selling out and all of that were all real. Um, and it, it highlights how much dirtier it is when he, make, when he applies the same. Calculating tactic to decide that, or you know, number one, to have a lack of critical thought in inviting an intern into his room, and number two, what he then chooses to do in the fallout.
2: Um, yeah, I would, the, I th- the scene yeah. where he where he confronts Gosling, or where Goslin confronts him, um, mm-hmm. and and he sort of like plays it out very, right. as you said, very like calmly and calculatedly, does a lot to highlight like the reprehensibility of it all
0: right right i would say he's still not at that highest echelon that you described pete because this is not a campaign that is built on a deception of i'm going to bring you all in with my promises of virtue and then impose a dictatorship like i think napoleon really does take the cake on that one
2: Mm -hmm, right
0: but it's certainly not a campaign of integrity
1: That feels like a good note to go out
2: on. I agree. Uh, that's all the time we have for this episode. Um, Sarah, thanks so much for coming back and joining us again.
0: Thanks for inviting me. I really love talking with you guys. Yeah. Yeah, this was super fun.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, I already know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask because that's what we do with guests. Is there anywhere on the internet that you want people to be able to find you? Nope,
0: don't want to be followed, but thanks for asking.
2: Cool, that's the right, probably the best idea. Uh, You can follow the show on Twitter at DYDYHpodcast. You can also follow us on Facebook, and you can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. Please rate and review the show if you liked it. Uh, Don't rate and review us if you didn't like it, but also you got through an hour, so you probably liked it. Uh, Also, go ahead and tell your friends about us. We're on Apple Podcasts soundcloud stitcher google play anywhere else fine podcasts are found uh martha also,
1: the website's back so Hey, website's the website's back cool Woohoo. um Homework, and what is cool
2: uh martha where can people find you
1: uh you can find me everywhere on the internet at magical martha i am most active on twitter and instagram because i have no self-respect uh you can also follow my newsletter which updates twice a week or whenever I feel like it, which is tinyletter.com backslash magical Martha. Uh, it includes a lot of interesting things like soon my thoughts on how uh cool it is that Into the Spider-Verse won the Golden Globe for best animated feature. Oh it did. What that's exciting. That is I'm something that excited. I learned while that is something that I learned while we were recording this podcast. So <laughs> that's a little sneak peek into what my uh next newsletter is probably going to be talking about (laughs)
2: nice um you can follow me on twitter at pico 3000 p-i-k-o 3000 uh politics pop culture our next episode uh, coming out in two weeks is coming of age stories well where we will be joined by kim sleshinger um (gasps) yeah i knew sarah would get excited about that um Mm -hmm. Kim is assigning the novel The House on Mango Street by Sandra Cisneros uh, Martha, what are you assigning?
1: I am assigning a little movie that came out last year, which, well 2017, uh, which you may or may not heard of, called Call Me By Your Name starring Armie Hammer and Timothy Chalamet and directed by Luca Guadinho. Uh
2: He did the Suspiria remake too um
1: yes you did
2: <laughs> i'm I'm glad you assigned this because i haven't seen it yet and i know it would just fall through the cracks if i didn't have a reason to watch it so uh, looking forward to it um i'm going with a graphic novel uh sort of splitting the difference there's also a movie though so you could watch that too i'm doing persepolis um by uh margie say mm. um
1: Yes. Yeah. Marjane Satrapi. Marjane.
2: There we go. Um, a Great coming of age story of a, a young woman growing up in pre and then post-revolutionary Iran.
1: Peter, I would just like recognition for the fact that I am not making you read a young adult novel.
2: <laughs> I am very thankful. Uh, there were so many possible young adult novels, AKA every single one of them. Um... <laughs>
1: <laughs> Most of them. Yeah. 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 Um...
2: Cool. Well, that is it. Uh, thanks for tuning in this week. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Class dismissed.